Mazel Tov, Susan. Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi Brown and I were remarking just before the service that we felt like we wrote a high holiday sermon in one day um, over this last week, this last day, I guess. As I reflect back on the week that has been and the incredible outpouring of support and solidarity, as well as shared and mutual grief and sadness, I have to tell you, it's been challenging for me as your rabbi. Somewhere around Tuesday, it kind of hit me after all of the, the press avails and the service that we had at the JCC and all the other stuff that has been going on and the emails that have been flooding in from all corners of our community and, and country. The the profound sense of loss and of rupture and of shattering. And I'm still struggling with it, and I might think that you might be able to catch on to that as I am not always able to complete my thoughts because they're interrupted by other thoughts. But I tried today for almost the entire day to put together something that I thought you needed to hear. Rabbi Brown will deliver a message tomorrow and um, I hope that you'll come back tomorrow to hear that as well. It's at times like these when we feel as rabbis that we're supposed to be able to offer some comfort, some insight, but we are grieving right along with you. I look out on the congregation every Shabbos and I, I truly love all of you and the people that are there. And just as the rabbi in Pittsburgh said, he had such a, a, a paternal feeling towards his congregants that somebody would come into a sanctuary to a house of prayer and create such horror and mayhem and murder. It's as though they came into my house. And I couldn't bar the door. Anyhow, I put something together for you that I, I hope will be of some comfort, maybe even a little insight. Joseph, the son of Rabbi Yehoshua, was dead for a short period of time, and then they resuscitated him, what we would call a near-death experience today. When he recovered enough to hear the voice of his father beside him by his bedside, his father asked him, Yosef, my son, my bubbola, what did you see? The young man responded with fear in his eyes and a quiver in his voice. Abba, father, daddy, I saw an olam hafuch, an upside-down world. The elyonim, the high people, they were low, and the tachtonim, the low people, they were high. His father rested his hand on his son's shoulder. He patted it and comforted him. And he said to his still shaking and quivering son, There, there, my son. Rest. Rest and have no fear. You saw an olam barur. You saw a clear world. You saw things as they really are. 
The world really is upside down, my son. Better you know that now than you should live in fear all the days of your life. Olam hafuch, an upside-down world. Olam barur, the world as it really is. What is the world that we are living in now? Is it the world of hate and violence and mass murder? A world of anti-Semitism and racism and xenophobia? Is it a world where Jews, after all we have been through, after the countless times that we have been scapegoated and targeted and murdered, is a world where we are still the eternal other? After 250 years of American democracy, 150 years of Canadian democracy, sounds a little bit like the exchange rate, by the way. <laughs> is this the best that we can achieve? Security guards outside our synagogues? Locking our doors on Shabbos, anti-Semitism on the rise, dog whistles and blood libels from elected officials, Jews murdered in synagogues. Is this really the world of 2018? Olam Barur. It would appear so. Eleven Jewish souls who gave their lives Kiddush Hashem in the midst of sanctifying God's name. They're evidence of that. The world may be upside down, but after Pittsburgh, there is no denying what we see. We see it clearly. Olam Barur. It is right there in front of us. The Passover Haggadah admonishes us, Bekol dor vador omdim aleinu l'chalachotenu. In every generation, they rise up against us to destroy us. And so now, we add to the long litany of names and dates going back to the days of Pharaoh in Egypt that make up this mournful Kaddish list. We add yet another name. We add Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Squirrel Hill, Tree of Life Congregation. 2018. Elie Wiesel was once asked what his greatest disappointment was in his remarkable life. Wiesel answered, quoting, I was convinced in 1945 that what happened must never be forgotten. And one thing appeared to me then, that anti-Semitism died in Auschwitz. But now I realize that only its victims perished in Auschwitz. Anti-Semitism is still alive and well, and that hurts me. I will confess to you that I was not surprised, and I was not shocked, by the massacre at the Tree of Life Synagogue last week. I have feared something like this was possible, if not probable, for some time now. That doesn't make me prescient. It makes me a realist. Words have a purpose. Their purpose is to convey and convince and compel to action. That's how I'm using them right now. That's how our tradition has used them for millennia. And when the anonymity of the internet and the setting aside of social norms allow those words to be weaponized, the result is so often violence and bloodshed. And the target of that violence and that bloodshed is almost always, eventually, us. 
Eventually, it's the Jews. In the last year alone, we have witnessed nearly 60% rise in anti-Semitic attacks in the United States in just this past year. Jews in Europe are targeted and attacked by mobs in the streets. A synagogue in Copenhagen was targeted by a gunman like that in Squirrel Hill only a few years before. The near election of the daughter of a famed Holocaust denier and xenophobe to the Prime Minister of France. The Polish government passing a law designed to whitewash their involvement in the Holocaust. The President of the United States calling Nazis who marched through the streets of Charlottesville, Charlottesville chanting, Jews will not replace us, calling them some very fine people. The continued prevalence of anti-Israel and anti-Zionism groups on university campuses. The boycott, divest, and sanction movement, each claiming they are against Israel, not Jews, as though that was somehow more acceptable, a distinction without a difference. Olam hafuch, an upside-down world, it would appear. When the certainties of societies collapse, when people are looking for some reason to explain their misfortune, when people are scared, they blame us. They always do. We are the world's perpetual outsider. We are its historic scapegoat, and we are the ones they blame. We are 0.2% of the world's population and just 2% of the population of the United States, some factor of that in Canada, I am sure. But to the anti-Semites past and present, we are 100% the cause of all of the world's problems. To the one who sees the world clearly through this lens, they have never stopped. The world has never learned. They have just changed the medium. They have moved from the streets to Twitter. But the hate is still there, and last week it reminded us, they reminded us that it will eventually lead to violence, because it always leads to violence. In the words of Jean-Paul Sartre, Sartre anti-Semitism is a pathology, it is a hysteria. Sartre writes, if the Jews did not, if the Jew did not exist, the anti-Semite would invent him. In May 1941, seven months before America's entry into World War II, a Reform rabbi, Rabbi, Israel, rabbi Fred Isserman of Temple Israel of St. Louis, Missouri, ascended his pulpit in a sanctuary not unlike that of Tree of Life in Pittsburgh or this one here in Vancouver, and he said to his congregation in 1941, in all human history, the anti-Semites have been the war makers, not the peacemakers. The foes, never the friends of religion. The apostles of tyranny, never the champions of liberty. The spokesmen of reaction, never the leaders of progress. The voices of tribalism, never the teachers of brotherhood. The destroyers and never the creators. Name an anti-Semite of any land of any age, and you will name not merely a foe of the Jew, but a foe of the finest values in civilization the noblest standards of human life. The enemy of the Jew has always been the enemy of humanity. What history teaches, the present verifies. End quote. 1941. It could have been 2018. Sociologists have studied anti-Semitism for generations. 
That statement alone is sad. And concluded that the measure of a society can be taken by how a society treats their Jews. The treatment of the Jew, writes Dennis Prager and Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, has historically served as one of society's great moral barometers. Now we are a yardstick. Watch how a nation, religion, or political movement treats Jews, and you have an early and deadly accurate picture of that group's intentions not only towards Jews, but toward all groups that consider themselves to be or are considered to be other. So I think I see it clearly. We all should. If the role of the rabbi is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable, then we must rise from our complacency and our naivete. They are still out to get us. Elie Wiesel was right. Elie Wiesel is always right. Anti-Semitism is still alive and well, and that hurts. Ulam Barur, see the world as it is, even if it hurts. But the prophet also declares, Nachamu, nachamu ami. Comfort, O oh comfort my people. And if my words to you tonight were only to confirm your worst fears or maybe scare you out of your false sense of security, that would, I be, think, rabbinic malpractice. There are signs of light in the midst of the darkness. Here's a sign. Pittsburgh Steelers put this logo on their uniforms in their game on Sunday. Here's another sign. The Pittsburgh Penguins turned their logo that already had a triangle into a Mogen David, a Jewish star, and it is yellow. Professional athletes are wearing Jewish stars, yellow Jewish stars, to say we are all Jews. I don't think there's a Jew on the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm not sure there's one on the Steelers. But there is now. This was not a group of people that attacked the synagogue. This was one sick and angry and hate-filled individual. This was not Kristallnacht. This was not the rise of Nazism. This was not Kristallnacht when the police stood idly by or joined in the killing. No, this time, the police were on our side. The police rushed in to save life, to save our people. The world was not indifferent to our suffering. The world was outraged by it. My inbox has been overflowing with messages of support and solidarity, not just from Jews. In fact, from Jews, I get hand-wringing and worry. But from all corners of this community, from clergy of every possible ideology and tradition, I have received countless prayers and condolences. From the BC Muslim Association, they wrote, quote, please accept our heartfelt condolences to the Jewish community on behalf of the BC Muslim Association. We wish to express our deepest condolences to all of our friends and neighbors of the Jewish faith at this difficult time. Our community, too, has experienced similar devastating acts of violence at our places of worship in Quebec not too long ago. We realize the heartbreak, the pain, and the suffering it leaves behind. From our premier, 
I want all members to stand with me, and I know that they will, to express our profound disappointment that violence, hatred, bigotry, and anti-Semitism continue to exist and thrive. Certainly here in North America and indeed around the world, all of us as political leaders have a responsibility. Wouldn't that be nice? All of us as political leaders have a responsibility and obligation to stand up and say no when we see intolerance, to stand up and speak with one voice, regardless of our partisan stripe, with one voice about the fact that we in British Columbia are proud of our inclusion. We are proud of our diversity. From the Buddhist community, I will definitely remember those deceased and their family, the congregation, in my prayers and loving kindness meditations. May the deceased rest in peace. May the family and congregation find strength to continue to spread love and compassion to all the dark corners in the world. Walking in Caresdale on Monday with my yarmulke on, I was stopped half a dozen times by people who I had never met who offered words of sorrow and condolence. Appearing on radio and TV, my Twitter feed lit up with words of support so much that they drowned out the haters who normally lurk there on my Twitter feed and Facebook. And then there was this. The headline from this morning's Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. If you can't see it where you are, it is the first line in Aramaic written in Hebrew letters of Kadisha Tom and the Mourner's Kaddish by Yikadal Yikadash Shemei Rabbah on the front page of the Pittsburgh newspaper. Every network profiled the victims. Every network told their stories as an Askara, as though it was Yisker. And lastly, there is this. There is all of you tonight and tomorrow and Sunday in shuls and churches and mosques across North America. We are joined by faith leaders and political leaders and Vancouverites of all stripes and faiths who stand with us as we mourn our people brutally murdered because they were Jews, acting as Jews, praying as Jews. Olam Barur, this too I see clearly. The world is not indifferent to the murder of Jews as they have been before. They say Kaddish with us, but more than that, Together, we pledge to redouble our efforts to make sure that we turn the world right side up for all of us, that we bring an end to senseless hate and violence, and that there is no place in this world, no place in this world as we see it for such things or careless rhetoric that leads to those things. The world may indeed be upside down, but you and I, we can change the world we can turn it right side up. We can repair the world and remake it the way God intended it. We have to. For those that died, for those that are here and those who have yet to be born, that they not be born into a world like this. Can you hear us? May it be God's will. Amen. We rise for Lenu, 586.